We come to this particular last piece of verse uh, 13, or verse 12 rather, or verse 13, yeah, where it says, and lead us not into temptation. We looked at that last week, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one is the better translation, as I've said. This particular part of the Lord's Prayer almost sounds like a plea that we might be given a pass from the problem of evil or maybe the presence of evil. Like somehow when I come to faith in Christ, I shouldn't have to wrestle with the struggle against good and evil, the, the, the presence of evil in our world. And if you have come from a perspective that <clears throat> has had some misinformation and you thought that following Christ was going to be a real piece of cake and with no problems encountered, then uh, if you haven't already figured that out, you, you know that it's not quite the case. Because in our world, while we are not given immunity from the presence of evil, we can have power over the power of evil. We can have the ability by the Spirit of God to overcome evil that we deal with in terms of, in terms of our life. So there's no immunity from any satanic attack or opposition, and I want to tell you that that uh, it, it doesn't make a bit of difference how long you've been the follower of Christ. You can still experience some of that satanic attack and trouble that comes your way. Um, um, Saturday morning started off a little bit rough at the Davis household. I was sitting and eating coffee. I wasn't eating coffee. It wasn't that thick. But I was drinking some coffee. <laughs> Um, and I was going to listen to something on the YouTube channel about um, a revival, a Welsh revival. And I was starting, and then Barb, and, and when I drink coffee with creamer in it, <clears throat> it tends to coat your throat, okay? So I will find myself, <clears throat> or, <clears throat> kind of thing. And that, that drives Barb nuts. And then that sends her into, into lecture number uh, seven, I think, is on her. Now, I want you to know, I'm coming around on this because the problem is not her. And so I, I got in, uh, I, and, and, and when that came out, you shouldn't be done. You know, I, at that point in time, had had it up to here with that playing, and I blew up. And I blew up in such a way that it scared me. I thought, whoa! And uh, it was not pretty at the Davis household in the morning. Once we got through that stuff and did all the, I am sorry that I, and please forgive me for, and that kind of thing, Things improved. It was still a very quiet day. Um, <clears throat> so if you think if you think preachers don't have this problem, I will tell you maybe most of them don't, but this one did, and and it, it happens. And sometimes things build up, and sometimes things blow up, and we've got to be able to deal with the fact that the enemy of our soul 
would love to keep us in that kind of situation where we uh, do not press into him for a better response to things that get under our skin. Okay? And all you perfect people that are smiling behind your mask right now can say, <laughs> okay, but the rest of us, we're going to just have to deal with some of those things that come along our way. So there's no exemption in being in the crosshairs of the enemy of our soul. And the prayer here that comes is deliver us from the evil or deliver us from the evil one. It's interesting that in Luke's account of this same Lord's Prayer, this line is not even used. All that you have in Luke's account is lead us not into temptation, period. And you don't even have this particular phrase. It makes it interesting for next week when you, when you have that phrase that I'm going to be preaching on. Uh, the message title is called, It's All About You. It's not about me. It's all about you. Where it says, and but the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> we'll get to that. Although the problem is going to be, if you ask me for a chapter and verse, I don't have one. Because it's not in here. And that may be why the Roman Catholic Church in Erie didn't want me to sing that ending on the Lord's Prayer when I sang it for my niece and nephew's wedding. My nephew's wedding, I guess it was his wife. My nephew's wedding. Yeah, but but they, they gave grace. Well, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that next week. Okay, so you need to come here and find out where I'm going to pull a text from because uh, it's not here today if you look in your own Bible. The best you get is a little note at the bottom. And we'll, we'll talk about that next time. I'm ahead of myself. So I want to look at some reminders for us today when we come to this deliver us peace. Deliver us peace. The first reminder seems rather obvious because it simply is a reminder about the link to the previous portion of that same verse. Lead us not into temptation. We talked about temptation trial, that you can view that positively or negatively. It's a function of how you respond to that. It's not that God in any way tries to tempt you with stuff that comes. The book of James tells us that God does not and cannot be tempted by evil. And if you missed that piece, uh, you can pick it up on the website. <clears throat> but in that linking, it puts us in connection with the issue of temptation or trial that comes our way. And the thing about that is that that is simply a statement of our vulnerability, our vulnerability. You know, you you and I might think we're, you know, we're, 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 we got it together pretty well, and it really shouldn't be a problem dealing with trials that come our way or temptations that come our way, same word that's used, and it shouldn't really pull us down, but we can be vulnerable people because of our nature, because the heart is desperately wicked, and sometimes you get to see it, and it's ugly, and you need to lean into and flee to Jesus for your help. It's a statement of our vulnerability. Do not lead us into temptation. There is no immunity there. 
But the contrast there is deliver us from evil or the evil one. We've said that it's not an issue of that we're immune from the presence of sin. That will eventually happen. When we go to be with Christ, when we are caught up together in the air and we meet him in the air and we are, we are separated from the reality of the presence of sin, then that will be no longer a struggle. But in the meanwhile, you and I get to deal with that stuff. We have the evil that goes on all about us. Now, literally, the language of verse 13 says, deliver us from the evil. It's a definite article in there. It's not delivering us from evil in terms of the presence of, but the evil, and it, whatever. But better interpreted is clearly meant the evil one, the enemy of our soul. I will remind us about that, that this is also a statement of our confidence that we can have, as much as we're vulnerable to the temptation or trial that comes, we can have confidence that Christ is able to help us, as he's invited us to pray this way, to discover that there is power over the evil one. We don't have to be victims all the time. There are times when we may fall flat, but we don't have to be a victim to the work of the enemy. There is power, and there is great power in the name of Christ. We pray to be delivered from the evil of sin, not that we be not that we pray to be delivered immediately from the presence or even indwelling sin, for that cannot be in this life. We deal with that. We have to shake that off by, by pressing into the resources and the tools that God gives to us. We'll get to those in just a moment. <clears throat> so remember the link to the previous portion, that they're hooked up together when you deal with the presence of evil in our world, the temptations that come our way, deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. So there is, there is power that is available to us. A second reminder in this whole last part of verse 13 <clears throat> is a reminder about the tactic of the enemy of our soul. If you have not or not paying careful attention, you need to know that there is an adversary. There is someone who is not on your side, who wants to be in your face, who wants to pull you away from a place of proximity to Christ, fellowship with Christ, communion with Christ. He wants to pull you away from that. We looked last week at the temptation narratives of Jesus in Matthew 4 and how that the Spirit of God was the one that led or drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. It didn't mean that, that he was making him do something. It just said he was putting him in a situation in which he had to choose whether he was going to believe God and obey him and his word or whether he was going to cave in and succumb to the things that were, were put out before him by the, the enemy, by the devil, by Satan at that point. In 1 Peter 5, we read this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. <coughs> the devil, your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone 
And if you think that you're immune from his gaze or prowling or looking, you're mistaken. And the time that you think you've got it all figured out, surprisingly enough, some things can pop up and pull you down. <coughs> I want to remind you first that there is the, the function of that enemy of our soul who, is in, who tries to harass, intimidate, and cause us to be fearful. There are some people that struggle with this whole issue of walking with Christ because they're afraid they might get picked off. They're afraid they might get beat up by the enemy of our soul because they view him as, as a powerful adversary, and he is, but he's not omnipotent. Our God is omnipotent, but Satan is not. Satan is a deceiver. He, he, makes, he wants to make you think that it's, he's bigger and more intimidating than he actually is. Satan is a defeated foe. The scriptures tell you that. Uh, the, the hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And it talks about that, that's, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal, and that's true. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man, Jesus, on our side. We would be in trouble for sure. The enemy of our soul longs to do that. Revelation 12 says that the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Now that's a future event. That's not a present reality yet. He's... His work is to accuse. His work is to hurl people down. And when there will come a point in time when he himself will be hurled down. His intent is to pull us down. Harassment, intimidation, fear. One of the things that I, 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 I think we've got to be reminded of is that sometimes when temptation or trials come our way, we think that the enemy of our soul likes to pick off the weak points in us. But I, I have a hunch that he is as much interested, or perhaps even more interested, in coming at us in the things where we think we're really strong. Where we think, I'm, you can't touch me there. You can't get to me there. And so you say, okay, we have a good, solid, strong marriage. The enemy won't bother us there, but boy, I tell you, there are things that can come that cause division or doubt or wedge in that relationship. Don't think that you're immune from your strong points. The enemy of our soul comes after us. I want to turn for a moment, look at a different portion of Scripture, to Mark chapter 14. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to make your way over, Mark 14. And verses 27 to 31. It's interesting that in this portion of Scripture, <coughs> it's dealing with Peter's denial. And here's what the language of that Scripture says. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, verse 27, Mark 14, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. 
talk about, you might say, well, that's a confident statement, but, but it, it, was, it was a mistaken statement. It presumed that I am invincible. I'm not vulnerable. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others <coughs> said the same. It's interesting. It comes at Peter at the point where he thought he would not be vulnerable. It was a strength. And yet the enemy comes at us because that's his tactic. That's what he loves to do. I want you to remember, and I think this is the thing that is most helpful for us when we talk about this particular portion of the Lord's Prayer, is I want you to hear the counsel of God's Word, and particularly a tool that God has provided for us to deal with the ability to overcome the evil one that comes our way. And the counsel of God's word deals with the issue of prayer. I hate to be a, a kind of a harp, harping on that particular issue, but the place and role of prayer in this church or any church in your life or my life is a key piece to being able to overcome the enemy. It was in the temptation that Jesus endured. The word of God. You say this, Satan, but God's word says this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. That's the counsel of God's word. And in the counsel of God's word, I want to remind us of several issues related to prayer. The first is the priority of personal prayer. I want you to turn with me in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. So if you can find that or listen really well, either one is an option. Verse 39 of Luke 22. As soon as they get on the right page, we'll be good. Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives is the caption in paragraph. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. His prayer, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Verse 45 says, when he rose from prayer, went back to his disciples, to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The priority of personal 
prayer. Jesus wrestled with the Father in terms of this issue of will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If it's possible, I'd like, I'd like this, this, this challenge to be taken from me or taken this cup that he had to drink. I'd, I'd like that to, to, I'd like a pass, please. I'd like to get another way to get where you want me to go. He said, no, not my will, but yours be done. And so we know that, that prayer led him to the cross. But it was interesting that while it was his usual custom, the disciples found it perhaps a little bit too hard to pray and found it too easy to sleep. Um, I, you could probably work on that one for a while in terms of, you know, what keeps you up at night? Does nothing keep you up at night? Have you ever been in that situation where you feel the weight of care or concern for someone, their eternal soul, their condition, their situation that keeps you praying instead of just, now I lay me down to sleep and going to sleep? It's the personal prayer and the priority of that that's encouraged in the counsel of God's word. There's also the protection of Christ's prayer. And this is one of those uh, portions, and, and I, I, I would take you to John chapter 17. And uh, your Bible may not automatically turn there, but I just want to remind you that we have looked at John 17 before, where we talked about the Lord's prayer, actually his prayer, when he prays for his disciples. In verse 13 of that, <clears throat> of that chapter, he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they will have, or they may have, the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the word, and and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This is the prayer of Jesus on behalf of his followers that they would be protected. There is protection from the attack of the enemy. It doesn't mean it's not going to come, but it's it's like when when the, somebody came in, the girls came in, uh, uh, Camille and Mackenzie came in, and they had their umbrellas up because the, the, it was starting to rain. And so they were having a hard time navigating the door because the umbrella was bigger than the door. So you, you deal with, okay, we need to put this thing down, whatever. But they were kept from being rained on because they had a protection over the top of them. They had an umbrella over the top of them. You have an umbrella of prayer over you that protects you from the evil one. You have, you have tools, you have armament from Ephesians 6 that talks about take unto yourselves the various weaponry so that you might stand against the work of the evil one. We'll come to that portion of Scripture in a minute in Ephesians 6, just a moment. But here, the prayer of Jesus is that you might keep them from, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And I'll just stop there at verse 17. <clears throat> there is the protection of Christ's prayer. In Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 and 32, you read this. 
let me get to the right page. We'll be good. Uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 7, a similar prayer on behalf of the followers of Christ tells us that it is the role and purpose of Jesus in, in standing before God uh, that he ever lives to intercede for us. The verse reads this way. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. <clears throat> now, there are times when I may not avail myself of all the weapons and the resources that God makes available for me to stand against the enemy and I crash and burn. You may do that from time to time. But it doesn't mean that that's the end of the chart. It means that you've fallen down and now you need to determine by God's grace I'm going to stand up and make my humble confession and move on in dependence upon him. Because Jesus Christ lives to pray for you. I don't care whether you're in middle school, high school, no school. Jesus is spending some time today, right now, praying for you. And that ought to be of encouragement to you. Have there ever been those situations where you've been struggling with something and someone said, uh, you know, hey, I, I, I was wakened during the night at a particular time and I, I just felt burdened to pray for you. And, and I, is, is everything okay? There have been more than a few stories, and I heard of another one this week, where a person was, was prayed for four different times during the course of that night and they were they were. They were driving a tractor trailer, <clears throat> and on four separate occasions, interesting enough, linking up with that same time frame that the person was awakened to pray, on four separate occasions, they almost drove off the road and crashed. But God got somebody up to pray. Now, I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't need to get a wake-up call for us. You know, he's, he ever lives. He lives for What do you live for? You live for family, you live for friends, you live for whatever. Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He is praying for you and for me and invites us to be people who come under that umbrella of the protection of his prayer. I want to tell you one final piece in terms of this counsel of the word of God, and that is the power of prevailing prayer. In Matthew chapter 16, a little bit down the road here uh, from where we're at in Matthew chapter uh, 6. Um, you, you come to verses 18 and 19. Here's, here's, here's the reading of that. Jesus replies, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by Father in heaven. And that was when he makes his confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a whole realm of teaching there in terms of the, the authority of the believer in binding and loosing in terms of prayer. It does not mean that you just say a magic word and then no problems exist. It means you wrestle with this thing. It means you take authority in the name of Christ over that. And over the, whatever the attack, whatever the, the action of the enemy is toward you. Maybe there's, maybe there's someone who's really getting beat up. And maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe they're just, maybe just, it seems like every time they turn around, they're getting hammered. If they didn't have bad luck, they've had, if they didn't have, let's say, they didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck at all, is a phrase or something. But I'm, I, I don't want to get into that schlep rock stuff. But, I, but the point is that the enemy of our soul loves to come at us. And I wonder if there are people who are, who are understanding the counsel of God's word that tells us we can have the power to pray and prevail in prayer on behalf of people. It's warfare praying. It's going, it's getting on the wall. It's watchmen on the wall stuff from the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's people who are willing to wrestle with God on behalf of the souls of men. There are people who are lost outside of Christ. And I realize God is sovereign. He will bring truth to people who are, who are looking for him. And, and, and that will come. That will come. But I'm wondering if there are people who are willing to just pray before God and prevail in prayer, persevere in prayer uh, before him so that, so that they will bind and loose in the authority and the name and power of Christ. Uh, a little further ahead in chapter 18 of Matthew, <clears throat> in verses 18 to 20, it reads this way. Um, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I tell you, the two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And there is the power of agreement in prayer. You, you, want, you want to reach a hundred souls for Christ as a church? That's not going to come just because you set up a nice goal, a noble goal. It's going to come because you purpose to pray for those souls, for those people that God has put in your web of influence or people that he just prompts to come off the street. Uh, there are some churches that never have any visitors. This church gets them roaming in periodically from time to time. I think that's a God thing. I think you just ought to be thankful for that and say, Lord, what is it that you want? If these people are, are crazy enough to come into this place, well, I'm not crazy is not the right word. If they're courageous enough to come into this place, then are we courageous enough to pray for them and to love on them and to care for them? We need to be, and we need to prevail in that point. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, I won't read that portion of Scripture, but it's the one, it's the famous one that talks about Take unto yourselves the whole 
panoply, the whole, the whole, the whole entourage of equipment of God that enables you to f- stand against the fiery darts of the enemy and take unto yourself the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Have your loins girt around something and then put something on your feet, and oh, the, the weapon raiser goes through goes through that. It, it's interesting that, that same portion of scripture it says, and praying in all prayer. It's like you put on all the weapon, but the thing has got to be permeated, bathed in prayer. Pray in all situations, and you cannot get away from that. So the prayer here in Matthew, when he says, deliver us from the evil one, is hooked onto that portion of Scripture that talks about the trial or temptation that comes our way. It understands that the enemy of our soul would love to use his tactics of pulling us down and away from him. He is there, the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who has come to kill and steal and destroy. That's what he's all about. And you don't have to be a victim to that because God has given you the precious privilege of prayer for you personally in the process, for you understanding that the Prayer of Christ is covering over you and causes you to get under the umbrella of his prayer and then offer your personal, persistent, prevailing prayer. We are not helpless victims, doomed to defeat at the enemy, at the hands of the enemy of our soul. We are not simply people preyed on by the adversary without any resources to do battle. Remember that God will keep you through the trials that come your way. Remember that the enemy, though cunning and crafty, is also a defeated foe. Remember that God supplies everything you need for victory in your battles. Take what he gives you. Stand in the battle for your soul and the souls of men as well. He is all you need. And I don't care if it's crash and burn on Saturday morning at the Davis household or whatever it is in your world. He is sufficient for you. He's sufficient for me. When we, when we fall flat, when we don't win, when we move out from the protection of the prayer of Christ and, and just wander in obedience or say, I'm going to... When when we get to that point, we still are able to experience his great grace. I sang about that when we talked about amazing grace. My chains are gone. By God's grace, may we learn to lean into him, um, to stand against the evil one, and all the evil that is attendant with him in the world in which we live. Will you pause with me for prayer? Father, we acknowledge our weaknesses here today. There's no immunity from the attack of the enemy of our soul. We know what he longs to do. And my prayer is that you would be pleased to minister to us 
each one of us in our journey. <clears throat> you know the stuff that went on yesterday in our worlds. Maybe, maybe it was a great day. Maybe we won a lot more than we lost. But we're grateful that even when we don't always pass the test, when we neglect prayer, when we think we can do it on our own, your grace is there for us. May we lean into that. May we make our humble confession and say, Lord, I have fallen. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Purify my heart, outside and inside, and let me serve you. For what you'll do, we'll thank you. We'll give you praise. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.